All right, so the overarching umbrella is evangelism and sceptical world. There are two sessions. Today we're going to unpack an evangelistic Bible talk for the first session. Then we're going to come back and do session two, where I'm going to address some defeated beliefs like hell and homosexuality. All right, I'll talk into the mic. Uh, so for the first session, we're unpacking evangelistic talk. And here's Scott Sanders told me, Give an evangelistic talk, and then we'll just break it down, look at the strategies behind it. And Scott told me, not me, Scott told me, don't do the usual evangelistic talk that we, we've all been trained to do, because let's try something different, something outside of the box. Usual meaning, you know, the five-minute intro, three, then, then the body where we have a three points from um, where we unpack a Bible passage, and then a conclusion at the end. So try something different. So I'm going to try something different. Uh, but before I do that, let me say this is just one of many ways to do this. I'm not saying it's a silver bullet, do it my way or don't do it my way at all. I'm not even saying it's the best way. I'm just saying, hey, it's a good way. It's sort of worked for me, but certainly not the only way. And I'm not saying you should do it this way. That's not what I'm saying. But it's an exercise where we can think, okay, we're using those same principles. What could we all come up with? And I'm using this to, to give an example of cross-cultural contextualize speaking, speaking to another culture, which is what I have to do every day in the CBD of Sydney. And it's also contextualized, how to speak in the language, the idioms, and the metaphors of the people that you're talking to. So the example I'm going to give is two months ago, I got asked to speak at St. Catherine's, a private school in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, to Year 12 girls in their final chapel service before they leave. And this is cross-cultural for me and, and how to contextualize it for them because I'm not a Year 12 girl uh, in a private school in the eastern suburbs. I was a western suburbs boy. And so for all of you, pretend right now that you're in a farewell chapel service where you're going to sit through a 15 to 20 minute talk hearing something you've heard for six years now. And so just channel the inner year 12 girl that's in all of us right now. Well, I'm married to Steph and we have three boys, Toby, Cooper and Jonty. And every Friday night we have a tradition, Friday family fun night, where the boys get to order a pizza, the boys get to choose a movie. And this is the movie they always choose, Alvin and the Chipmunks 3. We see this over and over and over again. So think about it, while you're getting to watch quality, like Fast and Furious 7, the Avengers, Dumb and Dumber 2. Spare a thought for us because this is what we're watching Alvin and the Chipmunks over and over and over again. But we all love movies. We all love Hollywood. So what can Hollywood teach us about Jesus? So I think Hollywood can teach us three things about Jesus. Number one, love should be conditional. In Shallow How, Jack Black is taught this lesson. He should love Gwyneth Paltrow just for who she is. Not for her looks, but simply for who she is. Love should be unconditional. And that means the next time you're out on a date with your partner and the lights are low, the music is soft, the mood is just right, and he leans over and he asks you, why do you love me? Don't answer. It's a trap. Because whatever you say will show that your love for him is conditional. If you say, I love you for your intelligence, well, now your love is conditional upon his intelligence. If you say, I love your sense of humor, now your love is conditional upon his sense of humor. If you say, I love your nose, now your love is conditional upon his nose. Your love is conditional upon some attribute of him. And so now you've introduced fear and insecurity into the relationship. What if he changes? What if he loses his attribute? 
What if he has a motorbike accident and he's no longer intelligent? What if he's not in a funny mood? What if he loses his nose in a shaving accident? Are you going to love him any less? Well, Hollywood says no, because our love should be unconditional. In 10 Things I Hate About You, Heath Ledger sort of fits in. Julia Stiles totally does not. Heath is of okay social standing. Julia, she's not. He likes her, but she doesn't like him. And yet he loves her. And in Hollywood, this happens all the time. Because in Hollywood, love is unconditional. Love is not based on who the other person is or isn't. It's not based on what the other person does or doesn't do. Love is unconditional. The Christian message can be summed up in this quote. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the first thing we learn in the Bible about Jesus is this. Not that we loved God, but God loved us. God loves us unconditionally. Not based on who we are. Not based on what we've done or haven't done. Just simply, God loves us. His love is unconditional. And that means we have infinite value. What is the value of this $100 note? Well, in terms of chemicals, it's only worth a dollar of chemicals. But to us, it's worth a lot, $100. In our eyes, it's $100. We would love to have it. It's $100. Well, what is our value? Well, in terms of chemicals, we're probably a dollar worth of chemicals, a bit of nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen. But in God's eyes, we are infinite value. To God, we're worth a lot. God would love to know us. God would love to be our God, and we could be his people. God loves us unconditionally. So that's the first thing we learn from Hollywood, that God loves us unconditionally. The second thing that Hollywood can teach us about Jesus is this. Evil is real. Hollywood loves bad guys. So Hollywood has given us the Joker, Darth Vader, Orcs, and Bill Bates from Psycho. As a kid, my parents tried to protect me from M and R-rated movies, but one night when I was 10 years old, the ad for Psycho came on where the guy just kept stabbing her in the shower. And I couldn't take a shower for the next year. But as we grow up, Is evil real? Is evil just a story device? Because often the bad guys are so one-dimensional. They're comical. They're unbelievable. In real life, we don't see any Jokers. We don't see Darth Vader's. We don't see Orcs. And there certainly was no Bill Bates waiting outside my shower. And that's why the more convincing Hollywood movies are the ones with the anti-heroes, where the heroes are normal people like you and me. They're flawed, and we discover that the evil comes not so much from outside of them, but from inside of them, inside our own human hearts. In Mean Girls, it's Lindsay Lohan slowly becoming one of the plastics. In Devil Wears Prada, it's Anne Hathaway losing her ideals. In Lord of the Rings, it's the ring that exposes the lust for power that's inside all of us. And what makes evil so evil is just how subtle it it is. It's not the axe-murdering stuff. It's the mundane, subtle, everyday stuff. It's the pride of Anna Kendrick in Pitch Perfect. It's the selfishness of Leonardo DiCaprio in Blood Diamond. It's the ambition of Lightning McQueen in Cars. And the Christian message is summed up in this quote. 
This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us. But he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the second part of the Christian message is this. Our problem is sin. Not so much the evil that's outside of us, but it's that evil that lurks inside our hearts. Not the axe-murdering stuff, the subtle, mundane, everyday stuff. Last year, a close friend of mine got a massive bonus from work. So massive, bought a new house. Uh, uh, sorry, he paid off his house, bought a new investment property house, and he paid off his car. Another friend of mine got a redundancy package so massive, he paid off his house and went on overseas holiday. Now, 90% of me is so happy for my friends. But you know what? There's 10% of me that is so envious of what's happened to them. And the Bible calls my envy sin. It's the mundane, subtle, everyday stuff. But this sin breeds hurt. It brings hate. And it causes shame to me, my family, and it dishonors the God who made me. See, I have this sin that lurks in my heart. With it, I dishonor my friends, I dishonor my family, and I dishonor the God who loved me and who made me. So what needs to be done? Well, the third thing that Hollywood teaches us is this. Is this. We need an act of love and sacrifice. The third thing that Hollywood teaches us is we are saved by an act of love and sacrifice. In Hollywood, usually around the two-thirds mark of the movie, the hero is faced with a choice. And it always happens at the two-third mark of the movie. So when it happens, I always pause the movie and I say to my wife, ha-ha, see, it's happening right now. This is the two-third moment. See, the counter, two-thirds. And she says, I hate it when you do this. Just let me watch the movie. But what happens at the two-third mark, the hero is faced with a choice. The hero can choose the selfish, ambitious act, or the hero can choose the selfless, loving act. And the hero is faced with his choice. And usually, the hero will let go of the selfish, ambitious act and then take the selfless, loving act. And with that, the hero finds redemption not just for him or herself, but for all the friends and family. This is how we find redemption in Hollywood, choosing the selfless, loving act. This is a storyline of Up, where the old man just lets his dream go. It's a story of Darth Vader and how he finds redemption. Devil wears Prada, she lets her ambition go. And in Blood Diamond, Leonardo DiCaprio lets the diamond go. And what's interesting, in Hollywood, usually... It has to be an act of complete sacrifice. The hero has to die because death is the ultimate selfless, loving act. Only death can finally bring redemption. And the implication from Hollywood is this. The evil in our heart, in hearts is so radical, it's so invasive, only a radically selfless, loving act can undo it, can clean away the shame and bring redemption. Before that, the hero has to die. Well, the Christian message is summed up in this quote. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The third part of the Christian message is this. The hero has to die. We find redemption in a radical, selfless, loving act, but not our death, the death of Jesus. In Hollywood, if we were the hero, we would have to die. But in the Bible, Jesus becomes our hero and Jesus dies the death that we had to die. 
And that's what atoning sacrifice means. Jesus fixes up the shame. He takes away the mess and he gives us a new heart and a new start. He gives us redemption. I have a friend called I have a friend called Ross, and it's a rough picture, but I asked Ross, can you give me a better picture? And he says, this is the best picture I have. I've known Ross for more than 10 years now, and Ross was addicted to heroin. Ross was on the methadone program. Ross was um, um, arrested for possession. And one day, Ross was on a train by himself and suddenly thought, where am I going? Who am I? Why is my life so messed up? And at that moment... He cried out to Jesus, Jesus, I've heard about you, and if you're real, let me start again. Cleanse me. And he said at that moment, he felt the power of Jesus just take over and flush all the drugs out of his system. And since that day, he's never needed methadone. He started a new life where he set things right with himself, his wife, and his kids, and a new life where he's right with God, and he can start all over again, loved by God. Now, I'm not saying we all have the same story as Ross, but I'm saying this. We all have a similar problem of sin and shame in our lives. And usually it's the mundane, subtle, everyday stuff. And Jesus gives us a radical solution for our problem, the ultimate act of love and sacrifice. He atones us and he cleanses us so we can start again. So no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we are loved by God, we are saved by God, and we can start all over again. So what can Hollywood teach us about Jesus? Well, Hollywood gives us a redemption story where we need redemption, where the hero needs to die, and that's the only way to be saved by an act of sacrifice and love. And that's exactly what the Bible says about Jesus. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But here's the problem with Hollywood. It gives us a story. It describes our human condition. And here's our cry for redemption. But the movie only goes for two hours, then it's over, the credits come up, and then we all go back to our normal world, back to our normal human condition, back to our cries for redemption. But what Jesus gives us is a historical story, a real story. It really did happen in our world, in our life. And so we can choose to be part of this story. Our names can be in the credits. Jesus can be our hero And the story of love and redemption can become our story of love and redemption. So here's what my story would normally sound like. My name is Sam. I'm Asian and I'm a high achiever. I was that annoying Asian kid in primary school that always stick up his hand and say, Miss, I finished all my work. Can you give me more work, please? I was that kid in high school. I would study hard, get 99% in the exam, and then I'll worry where that other 1% went. Where did I lose it? I got into medicine at Sydney Uni, top 1% of the state. That should have been it. That should have been the ultimate trophy. But the problem of being a high achiever is this. There's always another mountain to climb. And you remember your mistakes more than your successes. As a doctor, I would have been at 100 ward rounds, but I remembered the one the most, the one where they showed the x-ray where my operation had gone wrong. See, as a high achiever, you need trophies, not so much for the people around you, but for yourself so that you know for yourself that you have achieved. And so you end up pushing, pushing, pushing yourself to the next success. But the next success is just as empty as the last one. See, my problems are pride, insecurity, and a craving for recognition. But because of Jesus, this is now my story. 
I got to read the Bible systematically when I was in high school and suddenly it came to me that Jesus is perfect, so I don't have to be perfect. You know, up until then, yes, I heard the Jesus story. I knew he died for me. Yes, he took away my sins. Yes, I can go to heaven if I trust in Jesus. But I think I never got the bit that Jesus is perfect, so I don't have to be perfect. He loves me just as I am. And God sent Jesus to be the perfect hero for me, to die the death I couldn't die, so that I could live a new life where God sees me as perfect, but he loves me too much to leave me the way I am. And every day I have a new journey with Jesus where I can become more and more like Jesus. Well, how will your story sound? Because of Jesus, we too can choose to be part of the Jesus story. And our, our names can be in the credits. Jesus can be our hero. And the Bible story of love and redemption can be your story of love and redemption. Now, at that stage, I ended the formal talk. And then I started riffing and I approached the audience. I said, well, just like in Hollywood, there's an important two-third moment in your life. We in this room have hit our two-third moment in life. See, usually life can be easily divided into three very clear stages. And one way of understanding the three stages through the freedom responsibility grid. See, when we're a kid, that's a first phase of life. And that's where they give you no freedom, but they give you no responsibility. So life is a lot of fun. When you're an adult, they give you a lot of responsibility, but they also give you a lot of freedom, adult freedoms. But when you're in the middle, a teenager, they give you adult responsibility, but no freedom. And that's why life sucks in, in that middle phase. But that middle phase is now over. We are now hitting that two-third phase of life where we will have adult freedom, but also adult responsibility. We're going to make adult choices and there'll be adult consequences. We're at this moment and we need to choose wisely. Also, another way of understanding life is this. In the first phase of life, when you're a kid, you inherit the worldview of your parents. Whatever they believe, you believe. Whatever they do, you do. In the middle phase of life, you get to deconstruct the worldview of your parents, take it apart in pieces, uh, preferably in front of your parents' eyes, and that's usually a lot of fun. But now we come to that third phase of life where we have to reconstruct a new worldview our worldview, and it needs to be stronger and more robust than the worldview we inherited from our parents. So we're that two-thirds moment of life where we can reconstruct a new worldview. That is who we are. We choose who we are and where we're going, but where are we going? Another easy way to understand life is, as we all would have studied, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we all know the layers in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The bottom layer is survival. We all need food, shelter, and warmth. But once we've got food, shelter, and warmth, we move up to the next layer where we need love and belonging. And once we have love and belonging, we move up to the next level on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, esteem, where we are somebody, where we are recognized, and where we have arrived. Now I am me, I am somebody, esteem. And once we have survival, Love and belonging and esteem, we get the cherry on the top of the cake, what Maslow called self-actualization. Now, here's the problem in life. How are we going to get that third layer, esteem? How are we going to be somebody? Are we going to get through our work, our study, our career? See, work, study, and career, that will give us the bottom level, won't it? Survival, food, shelter, and warmth, because it will pay the bills. 
Work, study and career will give us the next level up, love and belonging, because we'll have friends that we make at work and we can hang out with them and life is a lot of fun. But can work, study and career give us the next one, esteem, where because of my career, because of my successes, I am me, I'm recognized and now I'm somebody. No, because our job can never do it for us. And if we keep doing that, we'll push, push, push ourselves until we burn out and we fail because our work will ask too much for us and we'll have to die for our work to become somebody. So how are we going to be somebody? Maybe we can try to be somebody through our friends and family. And friends and family will give you food, shelter and warmth, survival. Friends and family will give you the next one, love and belonging. Now we have a belonging, a network of friends that we're comfortable with, where we're somebody in their eyes. But how do we get the next one to be somebody? If we use our family and friends to do that, now we're using them and they're becoming the trophy friends, the trophy family, and we will destroy them. We'll ask too much of them. And now they have to die for our cause. How will we get that third level? If we don't find it, we'll destroy our friends, our work, our work will destroy us, and we will destroy ourselves. The Bible says in God's eyes, because of Jesus, we are somebody. He loves us just the way we are. So we surrender whatever we're chasing and just give our lives to Jesus. Now we are loved by God just the way we are. We are somebody. Jesus was perfect, so we don't have to be perfect. He was a high achiever, so we don't have to be the high achiever. And he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. We will be a project in God's eyes where we have a direction where every day we become more and more like Jesus. We're that two-third moment of our life. Life is only just beginning. We now have adult freedom, adult responsibility, adult choices, adult consequences. So here's a chance to be somebody, not just in our eyes, not just in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes as well. All right, so that was the talk. Uh, So what we can do is now just have a little five-minute break so I can pull the whiteboard here. Just have a little break where you think and process about that, and then you can ask me any question you like about the talk, and we can break down the talk. So let's have a little break.